0: Hey there, Geoffrey from Intercom here. Today's episode is one of a series we recorded late last year at the SaaS Stock Conference in Dublin. For this particular show, John Collins, Intercom's director of content, sat down with Mike Creeden, managing director at Salesforce Accelerate, the SaaS giants incubator for startups who are building on its platform. Having founded a number of his own companies, Mike joined Salesforce back in 2002 as employee number 77. Since then, He's been focused on making Salesforce a platform that other innovative companies can build on top of. First off, Mike told us about the early days of the App Exchange and the first Salesforce incubator. We were
1: very fortunate that, and it wasn't really because of our selection process per se. I just think that there was keen opportunity, great entrepreneurs, people with insights, and
0: they gravitated towards Salesforce, which was just an emerging company at that time. He also touched on the importance of taking yourself out of the equation, if you want to build a really compelling platform. In terms of customer experience and partner experience, those are two equal weighted dimensions, if you wish, of this three-dimensional space that you're also involved in. And finally, he told us about why AI and machine learning are having such an impact on so many aspects of sales and marketing.
1: Within four or five years, we've seen it move from something that was kind of very techy
0: to something that's now kind of more mainstream. A quick reminder, if you enjoy our chat with Mike, Remember that we've published over 100 Inside Intercom episodes to date. To find them all, and make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, over to you, Mike. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. So Michael, welcome
2: to Inside Intercom. You've had a number of roles at Salesforce since you joined the company back in uh, early 2002, from product management to startup relations. So maybe just to, to kick off, give us a quick introduction to what you're doing today at Salesforce, and maybe how you ended up there in the first place. What's your,
1: your, your earlier career? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, John, for having me. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually been, obviously, quite a wild ride with uh, Salesforce from the early days. And actually, when, when I started in 2002, I was the first product manager for the API, And I remember at that point, Mark interviewing me like he did uh, every employee. This was, you know, his employee, uh, 77 there. Wow. But I remember him painting the vision for what the platform would be. Yeah. And little did I know is that we would actually be, you know, here today, you know, with quite the large ecosystem. But just in terms of my journey to kind of getting there is that I had my own startup in in the late 80s through the mid 90s. I had done a stint doing some software consulting. I was a technical co-founder of a a company. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the most part, I was just rolling from startup to startup. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend of mine at Salesforce, one of the early guys at Salesforce. And uh, he said, you know, this is gonna be a good thing. You should really consider this. So, uh, you know, I got my start there. And then ultimately, you know, Little did I know I would continue to, to, to be working with startups.
2: I, I love the way you say, uh, as employee number 77, uh, you refer to your friend as one of the early early guys, but not <laughs> yourself.
1: <laughs> right. uh, and and what's the current role involved? Well, currently what I'm doing is, is that I'm actually reprising a role that I had in the mid-2000s. What I'm doing is, is that I'm running an accelerator program of sorts. Um, it's called Salesforce Accelerate, and this is actually kind of a, a continual evolution that we've had on uh, an incubation theme. So specifically there, what we're doing is is that we're helping startups and scale-ups, specifically strategically aligned with Salesforce, which is obviously very important in terms of actually uh, delivering solutions. We help get them to the app exchange in an accelerated fashion, Uh, but ultimately what what we're really focused on is rounding out the solution mix around Salesforce so that we can deliver additional value to our customers. Okay. So, yeah, obviously, as you mentioned, for startups, one of the outcomes
2: of, of getting involved in Accelerate is taking their product to market on the App Exchange. And, you know, obviously there's companies like Wootrick and MadKudu who have been quite, quite successful subsequently. But what's
1: your criteria then for identifying promising companies for the incubator? Right. So, I mean, there's the kind of standard fare, if you wish, in terms of what you're looking for in any company, whether it's a startup or someone that's a little bit more advanced specifically what we do is we look for customer validation really what we're trying to do is we're trying to accelerate success we're not trying to if you wish invent it so uh, there's there's plenty of companies you, you know that actually have that initial success you know it's less expensive than than it's ever been in terms of actually getting a product to market you know whether it's you know leveraging platforms like salesforce or gcp or or uh, AWS, Heroku. I mean, it's very easy to get something out there, get some initial validation. Mm-hmm. That isn't to say that we're we're shy against taking someone in that's a little early and actually working on MVP, Yeah, you know, getting to MVP. But predominantly, we're looking for two key aspects. One would be that customer validation. Another one would be a strategic fit with respect to the solution space around Salesforce. So if it's already a crowded category, for example, we'd likely not be entertaining an offer to, uh, or extending an offer to a, to a startup in that space. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is is that we actually run it on a theme basis, each cohort has a particular theme. Mm-hmm. So they would have to fall into that. Our current cohort, for example, is FinServe, FinTech, and InsurTech.
2: Okay. And presumably those themes are both, you know, what you think is, Current or popular out
1: there, but also I suppose what Salesforce needs to round out its ecosystem. Exactly, we we aren't uh, completely self-serving in that. What we do is is that we take input, obviously from a customer demand perspective, and from Salesforce's, if you wish, uh, own inclination in terms of where we're going. The objective, as I said before, is strategic alignment. And nothing is more strategic, if you wish, than, you know, putting all the wood behind one arrow. Yeah. So if we're moving hard into a particular area, whether that's a particular vertical or whether that's uh, rounding out a particular solution that we already have in market, that's clearly a strategic opportunity for a startup. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of Salesforce's strength right now is
2: it's remarkably robust ecosystem. And, you know, you helped the company make a transition to becoming a, a platform rather than just a, a product company. Can you take us back to the early days of Accelerate and what the original
1: vision was, and maybe you know, had Salesforce tried an incubator before? Or, you know? Yeah. So, as I mentioned before, when I started um, in the early days as product manager for the API, one of the things you do as a product manager is you think about you know the constituencies that you're going to be serving. So from a persona perspective, so we're obviously driven from a customer point of view, and at that time we actually didn't have any partners. So I, as I joined, we were just signing on our first. "Quote unquote partners," and that was really not necessarily rounding out a particular solution space per se. It was really to overcome key objections that that we were being faced with. But along the way, in terms of actually progressing to what would become the platform, key pieces came into play, and those key pieces were, you know, uh, an understanding that personalization was key for a SaaS product to be successful. That personalization lent itself to additional solutions, tools, to be put in place to actually help achieve that particular goal. And that was the early days, if you wish, of kind of building out an ecosystem around Salesforce. That quickly evolved because we took that lead, or that cue, to actually build that out in a direction. And one of the the early offerings that we had at Salesforce was actually Moving into, if you wish, a notion that was driven from the consumer side of things, for example, Amazon at the time was wasn't necessarily revolutionising, but they had perfected, if you wish, online reviews and, if you wish, an element of what we now you know consider as uh, customer advocacy in terms of you know recommendations and things like that. So we said, hey, why don't we do that with enterprise software? So we actually created something called the on-demand marketplace. This was the predecessor to the App Exchange. Yep. And that was done like many things, you know, that all of us are familiar with in terms of actually doing something experimental. Mm-hmm. And it caught on, it actually, it actually struck a nerve with our customers, they really liked that. So we embarked then on the Exchange project. Yep. And that project was roughly about a year and a half in the making. And part of that exercise was, and this was my transition out of product management, was actually to seed this marketplace. Because we knew that if we were going to be successful, we needed to establish that critical mass quickly. Yeah, so we actually worked very closely, you know, uh, hand in glove, so to speak, with respect to key chosen willing participants in terms of uh, emerging partners, and that actually provided the seed for the app exchange. So in 2005, when we announced the app exchange, we actually had at that point 70 applications that would then be ready for launch in January. And Mark is always wanting more. It's like if that's good, you know, how do we get 700? Yeah. And I remember that it actually wasn't 700. It was like, okay, great, we have 70. How do we get 1,000? Yeah. So we thought about it long and hard. And that was the the emergence, if you wish, of the first incubator. Yeah. And in the first incubator, we incubated uh, 37 companies. And specifically, it was driven, if you wish, from a marketing standpoint in order to provide validation that, in fact, there was a market here. So we were very fortunate that, and it wasn't really because of our selection process per se. I just think that there was keen opportunity, great entrepreneurs, people with insights, and they gravitated towards Salesforce, which was just an emerging company at that time. But we had companies from Appirio, which was very successful on the the, uh, consultancy side uh, that started at the incubator. Aptis, exactly, actually did their uh, Salesforce offering, uh, their native offering that was done. Uh, was done out of the incubator, but many, many companies. We had actually 23, we tracked 23 exits out of that initial group of 37. So that was very successful in that in, in the initial days, and we learned a lot. Yeah. And then since then, you know, at the end of that exercise, in the first year, we actually went from 70 to 400 apps. Very quickly within that next year, we had 800 apps doubling, so we had already achieved the mission. Yeah. So after 2008, we backed off the pedal, so to speak, The ecosystem is growing uh, organically, but at a very high rate at that point in time. We actually just, um, just in the last year, just celebrated. We we actually don't celebrate number of partners. It's actually the success is actually from the adoption of customers. And we had our six millionth app install that just happened a little bit earlier uh, this year. Which was a great milestone because enterprise software is a little bit different than you yeah. know consumer-based software, because Absolutely. there's a because there's an opportunity, obviously from a value perspective, to make a lot more revenue. Yeah. on the on the enterprise side, is it harder to find startups now? I mean,
2: you got 37 the first go around. I'm sure I don't like what kind of supports did you have to provide back then versus now? Because I mean. You know, the world is awash in, in angel investment money and early yes. stage money and early stage programs. Yes. So.
1: Well, I, I think just, you know, getting back again to the opportunity that, that's at hand, you know, really the fundamentals are still there in terms of what's needed. You need, yeah. you know, you need fundamentally to have good ideas, good insights and, you know, that entrepreneurial drive. You know, the ability to execute is going to really weed out the, the ones that actually can be successful at this. But just in terms of there being, you know, more or less, I think we can just look around and see that the startup, you know, startup ecosystem in general is more than thriving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 successful in its own right. The just for our accelerate program itself, we receive hundreds of applications for ultimately what's roughly speaking each class roughly a dozen uh, placements. So. It's very competitive, like I think most accelerator programs are. Mm-hmm. We're not shy about what it is that we're doing. You know, we're a corporate accelerator program yep. of sorts. You know, so it's really, you know, narrow-casted into that audience. But, you know, I'm impressed every time that we do this for each cohort at the number of very impressive companies in the route, route. Remember, I told you that, you know, we're actually, the minimum bar is that there's some customer validation. Mm-hmm. So we get to read the, uh, the applications as they come in not just from a pitch perspective, but in terms of customer success stories. And it's very impressive in terms of seeing what people can do early stage. Yeah. I mean, there are so many moving parts required to build a a proper partner
2: ecosystem. I think something we're experiencing now with our Intercom App Store, Mm -hmm. which has got 100 apps already, but... Seven hundred is probably uh, probably our CEO's target for, for pretty soon as well. Yeah. But how how did you prioritize things as as, as the PM early on in, in terms of the, the API and then presumably uh, the on demand marketplace? I mean, presumably the accelerator was just one one part of like how you, how you seeded the, the yeah uh, marketplace.
1: Yeah, but I think in terms of in terms of the marketplace itself, I mean, fundamentally we need to understand that you know there, there's kind of three pillars of a, of a really effective ecosystem, and I think one of the problems is is that you know, there's too much, if you wish, internal focus on who you are and your place in the ecosystem. I'm talking about as the vendor. Yep. It's really important to turn things around and we all know about, you know, customer-centric design and engineering now, that's kind of commonplace, especially within enterprise SaaS now. I think that that's something that Salesforce can feel very proud in terms of actually pioneering, but that fundamentally is a cornerstone to building a marketplace, is looking at it from the customer's viewpoint and at the same time in terms of you know an effective marketplace you also need to be taking into account as importantly the partner viewpoint so in terms of customer experience and partner experience those are two equal weighted dimensions if you wish of this three-dimensional space that you're also involved in so part of the trick is actually you know understanding your role but actually taking a step back and then delivering obviously to the customer to to really drive down as much of the friction as possible in terms of not just you know, finding or seeking solutions, but actually ingesting and adopting. So, what we would in the nasty side of things on the enterprise side or on the on the B2B side, we think about you know um, implementation. We need to move that out of the way. I mean, with modern SaaS platforms, there's no excuse for not having if you wish, you know. Pre-built, you know, auth, OAuth templates for being able to ease from a single sign-on perspective, just the login piece of it. From an experiential point of view as well, is what is that ultimate experience that you're looking for, with respect to these third-party solutions that you're bringing into play, mm-hmm. and so it can't just be a casual, you know, in the old days like an iframe drop-in you know yep. to actually you know interplay with that we really need to think about how the customer is going to be using the solution and the solution is the combined solution between partner and salesforce or a third party not third party but the but the vendor whether it's inter, inter, intercom mm-hmm. or salesforce sure any
2: healthy debates early on in terms of like hey you know why are we leaving this for third parties or what
1: should we leave for third parties or where to draw the <laughs> line I think it's actually it's, it's it's quite interesting. You know, there's there's some great leaders out there. We actually just uh, I don't know if you if you followed the news, but we actually just lost a great leader in the SaaS space, uh, Ron Huddleston, who was I consider he was the if you wish I want to dub him as the godfather of the app exchange. We've had many leaders before him, and also since, since having him, and he I think holds the right to having really built the ecosystem from a commercial standpoint. Mm-hmm. And one of the things for us to actually look for, in terms of you know building a, th- a thriving ecosystem, is you know understanding that healthy channel conflict is kind of a natural outcome, mm-hmm. you know because if you're a company that's already building solutions in this space, your product organization and your sales organization is going to be is going to tend to want to own everything. Yep. You know, and from a sales organization, the, you know share of wallet, you know they have hundred percent as their goal. And from a product organization, they want to have complete control over that end-to-end customer experience. So that tension, I think, is natural and it needs to be embraced. And fundamentally, you know, channel organizations are kind of built for this. So as long as you have the executive buy-in, the support coming from the from the highest of high levels, you'll be able to manage that. Sure. But it's 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 one of those natural beings. If you're not getting pushback from sales and products, you're probably not doing it right. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Okay. Uh, any, any particular stories or lessons from those early days that you could share that you think like our listeners who, who are, you know, run, running SaaS businesses and, and maybe thinking of trying to think about being a platform or get ready for being a platformer? Or-
1: yeah, for sure. I think, um, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, provide anything uh, new here, but just on the, in terms of the uh, platform debate and statements, I mean, fundamentally, we can build a platform. Of sorts in terms of having the requisite elements, yeah. but success of a platform in terms of actually being recognized as a platform only comes after you have the customers on one side yeah. and a thriving, if you wish, uh, partner base at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, declaring you know that you're a platform before them, I think, is at best you know, self-serving and aggrandizement. But I mean, fundamentally. When you get to the point of actually, like where Salesforce was, and saying that okay, we can take that next step forward, we understood that I was saying before in terms of where our role was, it was really enabling kind of the natural evolution for an effective marketplace to be born from. Yeah. And I think in the, in that regard, it's understanding that you need to be able to pair up, you know, the third parties with the customers. Salesforce happened to have a vehicle for this. We were just talking before about Dreamforce, but our approach, specifically from a marketing perspective, you know, event marketing in particular, Mm -hmm. Salesforce has a particular strategy around that in terms of from the very early days, we would always bring customers and prospects together. It was just a natural pitcher dish for being able to introduce partners into that conversation as well, Mm -hmm. third party solutions into that. And I think that that's one of the key elements in terms of, you know, on the platform side. One is being humble enough to understand where you are in the genesis of developing that platform concept, and then understanding also that I, I really believe that you can't be a platform without having that marketplace point of view. Mm. So just like from Salesforce's perspective, us you know figuring out in 2003 that just having you know the list of, of partners on your site that integrated with you wasn't enough, that you needed to be able to facilitate the discovery, the, the ranking, if you wish, and kind of promote an element of community advocacy around these solutions, I mean those are kind of fundamentals to actually building an effective marketplace.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the, the point at which companies declare themselves a platform seems to be happening earlier and earlier these yes. days, I mean there definitely seems to be a, a, a well I suppose because the, the economics are so positive. If, if, if you can be...
1: It is there, but, but again getting back to the, to the humble aspect of it, you can be platform-like you know, but leading with we are a platform for this, yeah. you know, it's, you know, and how many customers do you have? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. And I'm not, I'm not belittling it from that per- point of view. I'm just thinking that everybody can be a, a little yeah. bit better off if we're kind of humble in terms of understanding, you know, the, the, the true merits of how a platform is really defined and declared. Sure. And then move on from there
2: whether it's obviously through the incubator, through a formal venture arm, there's lots of other programs that Salesforce has, but you know, you guys have made a lot of investments or bets on early stage companies. How, do, how does backing these startups really help Salesforce maintain its competitive edge? What,
1: do, what does Salesforce get from it? So, Salesforce, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because having been there so long and seeing the change from the inside, Well, first of all, I can say that personally, I continually am impressed from day one until now, quarter over quarter in terms of the execution from the company's perspective. And just in terms of kind of the evolution of that, I think it was built on the premise that we were like any startup, you know, born to rapid innovation, you know, keenly aware of our customers' needs and listening to our customers. And then as you grow, I think that there's just this kind of natural kind of lag that develops within the company itself in terms of being able to effectively turn out innovation. I must say that I'm very proud of being at Salesforce, being such a large company, still at a very, if you wish, high clip in terms of delivering innovation, release after release, three major releases a year. But when you think about it in terms of what startups are doing and the agility that a startup has is that we can't deny the fact that startups is where innovation really is key you know, and that, that we really see it. Yeah. So we use you know, our relationships with startups from a startup relations perspective, ventures, and also strategic partnerships on the product side really to help drive that innovation from a solution perspective. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's not really about us in terms of, you know, how many features we have per release. It's ultimately about how much of a solution are we actually putting into market, you know, around the customer need. I mean, looking outwards
2: and, you know, you, you started working with startups at, at, at Salesforce formally, and obviously you'd, you'd done startups yourself way before then. Probably like back in mid '90s, you started at Salesforce working with startups, and... What would you say has stayed the same till now? You know, if you look at the, the, the startups that are around now, I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of changes in terms of tech and business models, but right. also what's what's fundamentally
1: stayed the same, do you think? Yeah, I think if we, even if we go back you know, even 15 years, I think that the fundamentals are there. A little bit beyond that, and it gets a little fuzzy. Yeah. But uh, I think that Salesforce um, helped to establish, if you wish, kind of the business optics, if not the uh, metrics and KPIs that are needed to actually effectively run a business that hasn't changed so effectively running a SaaS business is fundamental to success and that's something that you know you can teach you know but ultimately the the founders need to be receptive to one of the things that we do in terms of the the prior question that you had in terms of what we're looking for in terms of uh companies that we bring into our program is that we're looking for the balanced team you know it just can't be you know, a guy or gal with a great tech vision in terms of, you know, here's my product. It needs to be, well, how are you going to execute? And that's why that that initial uh, stance, if you wish, in terms of what we're looking for in terms of customer traction um, is so important. But those fundamentals are still there. I mm-hmm. think what we've really seen change in the last five to 10 years is the economics of ultimately getting a product out to customers. Yeah. So that has dramatically fallen. I mean, just from a platform perspective. I mean, we can look at it You know, everybody knows from the AWS perspective in terms of how inexpensive it is to go to market. We have similar programs with Heroku and also on the Salesforce platform side of of things. If you want to bring a solution to to market with Salesforce platform, you actually have zero carrying cost from the time of conception of product through development all the way to actually onboarding your first customer. Mm -hmm. So revenue is only garnered after that fact. So business models are in your favor as a startup. Platform cost in terms of actually uh, hosting and actually uh, deploying product uh, and ultimately scaling, it's, it's so easy now to get something out there mm. that uh, that is, I think, what the, uh, you know, the fuel for innovation that, yeah. that we're seeing. And that, that's why we're seeing su- such amazing, uh, you know, progression within the industry itself now.
2: Of course, one of the big technological shifts we've seen very recently is AI, and you've had several companies come out of the incubator that are using uh, Einstein Salesforce's uh, AI-powered CRM assistant. Mm-hmm. How how do you see that relationship between sort of
1: automation and salespeople playing out? Any predictions for what what might be in store? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So predictions on one hand, I'll get get to that in a minute, but it's kind of interesting because. With respect to AI, we've been doing that at Salesforce for quite some time. We actually started early on, if you wish, with our acquisition of uh, Red Hat IQ, which became Salesforce IQ, uh, IQ, which has since been sunset in terms of our product, be, partly because of the AI strides we had made within the core platform element, which is now pervasive across our products. But nonetheless, you know, I've been able to see this now over a period of about four or five years. We incubated a cohort early on in the genesis of Einstein in particular, and kind of where we thought kind of AI and machine learning was, was going to be used has, been, has changed it, just in terms of initial customer feedback, but also with our experience with it. So one of the things that, that we're seeing is, is that AI and machine learning in, in particular is actually a fantastic tool which can actually make, in, in, with respect to sales and, and sales reps, can make them better. So one of the things that we're seeing is, is that we're seeing, for example, deflection kind of in a good way, in terms of kind of inbound, um, can be done more effectively. So just think about it in terms of response times. You know, that we can use you know, effectively machine learning to get the right message out in a very responsive way to a customer to ensure that nurturing starts from that initial first touch. So the, so that's one element that we've seen. It's very tactical, but that's one of the things we've seen. The, the other point is from a recommendation perspective, that the recommendations are not just from a customer side of view, in terms of next best, next best actions, but also from the sales perspective. Yeah. We're also seeing that now bleed into, if you wish, on the marketing side, making marketers that, that much smarter. Mm-hmm. So just a few years ago, you would now have to need, have some consciousness in terms of more advanced analytics an understanding of kind of the 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 makeup of the the model or, or the data or data lake that you're actually uh, you know pooling from, nowadays that's already abstracted. In just a few years, within four or five years, we've seen it move from something that was kind of very techie to something that's now kind of more mainstream. Yep. So in terms of the future, in terms of what I'm seeing is is that my belief in terms of just from the sales rep perspective, obviously that's a large part of our customer base in terms of our end users. I'm seeing them being able to be, you know, effectively, anyone can be a top performer now. Yeah. Because you get to benefit from those insights that are serviced through machine learning to suggest to you what that next best action would be.
2: Yeah, And that, of course, transforms the customer experience as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Michael, it's been great chatting. We could go on for ages, I'm sure. But listen, thank you for joining us on Inside
1: Intercom. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.